Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is produced or emanates, you like that word, from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au and most people across Australia who are listening to this program are listening to this program live. That's why we can give you up, up-to-date analysis of what's happening around the globe and on the continent of Australia. All right, my name's Joseph Scarner. If you want to sue me, fine. I need some time in court. I'm a bit feeling a little bit unloved lately. No court cases to go to. Now, no, no, don't take me seriously, please. Please. It's a comedy show. Well, it's not, but you'd think it was. And when we look at the last week's events, you would think we live in a in a permanent comedy. Anarchos, without rulers, anarchy without rulers, how do you create a society without rulers? You decapitate, that's right, you decapitate the institutional structures which give people the ability to assert their authority over others, and that's inequalities in power and wealth. So the struggle that anarchists are involved in is the struggle to devolve power, which means sharing power, possibly through direct democratic means and holding wealth in common and sharing wealth. When eight people in the world have more wealth than 3.5 billion, that's half the world's population, I didn't say million, I said billion, you know that it's time that anarchism became a major political, social and cultural force on this planet. Okay, now... First of all, I'd like to send my condolences to Michael Doran. Now, I've known Michael for almost 20 years. He's a member of the Wednesday Action Group. He is a member of the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Celebrations Group. He's also a member of Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, and he's been involved in radical activities uh, for many, many, many years before I met him. Now, Michael rang me last night to tell me that his partner of 35 years... Robin Lynn Whitehead, that's Robin Lynn Whitehead, had died last Friday. And obviously Michael was upset. And I asked him whether I'd be able to, uh, you know, say a few words about Robin, who I'd met a few times over the years. 
Uh, she was a very quiet, unassuming, hard-working person who graduated as a nurse in 1984 and worked as a nurse for 27 years before she retired in 2011. She's one of those people who nobody really has anything to say about, but one of those people that actually keeps is the glue that keeps society together and keeps it, it functioning, who provides the care, pays their taxes, obeys the law, does all the right things, the type of person that in society in the 21st century Australia is considered to be a loser, but the type of person who actually makes this world go round. Selfless, devoted people who work for other people, who never get acknowledged for what they've done over the years. And I'd like to extend my uh, condolences to her parents. Uh, Robin was 66 when she died on Friday. Her parents are in her 90s, her two brothers and and sister. And most importantly of all, I'd like to extend my condolences and and sympathies to Mick, Doran. Uh, they'd lived together for 35 years and it was a, you know, it was a great relationship. Now, I, I discussed it with Mick that I'd like to hold a, uh, a memorial lunch for Robin Lynn Whitehead and uh, we'll be doing that on the first Wednesday in September and I'll talk more about it. Now, if you live in the southern suburbs and you want to go to the funeral... Robin's funeral will be at uh, 11am next Wednesday, the 7th of August at Tobin Brothers in Ringwood. That's 11am Wednesday, the 7th of August at Tobin Brothers in Ringwood. So rest in peace, Robin. As I said before, you're one of those people who society relies on, who does the hard work but never receives the accolades that... uh, they deserve for keeping the society together. All right, let's move on. Now, this Sunday, another group of people that does a lot of hard work but uh, is basically uh, ostracised, marginalised, kicked about and uh, ignored. And I'm talking about the West Papuan Independence Movement. Now, for the last six years, I've been convener of the West Papuan Rent Collective. And the West Papuan Rent Collective is a very simple concept And the concept is that we raise the rent to pay for an office. And when I'm talking about we, that's you and me, not just me, you and me. We raise the rent to pay for an office for the West Papuan independence movement from which they can conduct their struggles uh, around the world. And every three times a year, we have a gathering of rent collective members interested people and people who'd like to be members of the Rent Collective. And uh, this Sunday at uh, 11am, my apologies, I got that wrong again, this Sunday at 1pm, not 11, this Sunday at 1pm, we are holding another Rent Collective gathering and it's just basically the West Papua Open Day, which everybody's invited to, whether you're a member of the Rent Collective or not, starting at 1pm. It's at the rear of 838 Collins Street, Docklands. That's 838 Collins Street, Docklands. And if you want some further information, you can go to FRWP, so FRWP 
women's office all one word at gmail.com frwp women's office at gmail.com uh, there'll be uh, lunch at 1 p.m rent collective members it's free but if you're a guest and you've uh, want to have lunch, it's a $15 cost to cover the actual cost of the lunch and it's a free course meal basically. Uh, it's provided by the Dapul, Sampari, Papuan Kitchen and uh, the money goes to the upkeep of the West Papuan office. Now this is a great opportunity for a very, very small cost for people to become involved in an independent struggle which is stretched over over um, 60 years in West Papua, which is, our, which is only 76 kilometres from Australia. That's right. It's not the Middle East. It's not Sudan. It's West Papua, 76 kilometres from Australia, closer than East Timor, independent struggle over 60 years, an active independent struggle where armed struggle groups continue to provide resistance to Indonesian occupation of West Papua. And uh, obviously there's the political... Faction, which is a negotiating for independence through the United Nations. So find out what's going on. At 2pm, we've got a special guest, Dutch writer Henri Licht, who is a Melbourne man, believe it or not. He's an anarcho-socialist. He's a Dutch Australian. He lives in the Danny Nong's a Tolstoy scholar. And um, once he was a vice principal of Lilydale House School and a lecturer at Victoria University. So he has actually translated from the Dutch a book which was actually written by people resisting uh, Japanese colonisation of uh, New Guinea, not New Guinea, uh, West Papua. Uh, during the Second World War, we fought in the jungle. So if you'd like to uh, get a copy of the book... More importantly, listen to Henri. Well, this is your chance. So it's this Sunday, Sunday the 4th of August, 838 at the rear Collins Street in Docklands. 1pm lunch, 2pm Dutch writer Henri Licht will be talking about the um, the book he's translated. It's World War Two Dutch guerrilla, uh, Mr. Cockerlink. Sounds interesting. We'll be interesting. And just in case you can't make the uh, the dinner this afternoon on Radical Australia between four and five pm on three CR, streaming live on three crorgau I'll be interviewing Henri Licht, not just about the book, but about his life. Okay, so as I said, we are in dire straits financially currently. We need another fifteen to twenty members of the uh, for the Rent Collective. If you can't make it to the dinner, you can always leave a message for me on 0439-395-489-0439-395-489 or you can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052 or email me at anarchistage@yahoo.com. And This is an important undertaking. As I said before, independence movement, right on the doorstep, over 500,000 people have died in this independence struggle from a population of uh, less than 1.5 million. That's a lot of people. A lot of people. It's a brutal struggle. It's continuing as we speak. And uh, by donating a dollar a month to the West Parkland Rent Collective, you can actually 
keep their office opening, and the office is instrumental in the negotiations to get West Papua listed on the UN decolonisation list. And you can donate anonymously. Okay, so try before you buy. Come down, have a look at the office. Have a West Park traditional West Papuan lunch, and um, see if you're not if you're not a collective member, it's fifteen dollars. Otherwise, it's three. All right, let's move on. As I said before, there's lots of things happening. Don't forget the uh, public housing, everybody's business uh, struggle continues. And here in Melbourne, we are holding um, vigils on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House from 5.30pm to 6.30pm every Wednesday evening. And the next one will be on Wednesday, the 31st of July. And if you're listening to this program live, it's today. And if not, it'll be the uh, 7th of August next week. Okay. Uh, just to remind you that nominations for the Eureka Medals are open. Now, the Eureka Medals, and there are six of them, presented every year by the Anarchist Mayor Institute at the Reclaim the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations. Uh, and these medals are actually presented at Bakery Hill in Ballarat at the very site that the Eureka Rebels took their oath, the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. This year on Tuesday the 3rd of December, which is Eureka Day, although the oath was taken on the 29th of November, and uh, you're all invited to send in a nomination of somebody who you think, who will never, whose name will never appear on the uh, Invasion Day honours list or Queen Lizzie's birthday list. I mean, the type of list you really wouldn't want to, want to be on. And uh, you think as, you know, who's... You know, now the time and effort to make this a fairer society, a more egalitarian community, uh, people who won't be recognised by the general community because they're rebels and, uh, you know, have a burr under the saddle of society. Well, this is the, this is the place to recognise them. You can send nominations, you can post them, and I need the name of the person, maybe a paragraph, why they should be nominated, and a contact address for the person so we can see whether they wish to accept the medal. Uh, nominations will close in early November, so now's the time to think about it. You can post nominations to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me nominations at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. Okay, let's move on. Sometimes, you know, we're an activist group. We like to do things because, look, I could talk here till the cows come home, and I do most days, and it's not going to change anything. I mean, knowledge is not power. People tell me knowledge is power. Knowledge is only power when you do something with that knowledge when you take that next step. And the whole purpose of the anarchist uh, anarchist uh, hour is basically to get you to take that next step. And many of the functions that and activities that we organised are based on that principle of trying to get you to take that next step. Because when you take that next step, then you can actually take it another step on your own and keep organising. Because that's what uh, we really need to do because analysis is a two and six a dozen. You can get any analysis you like, any time you like. And that's why at the Anarchist World this week, as we broadcast Anarchist World this week, we will spend some time talking about the events that have been organised in order to get people off their computers 
away from their iPad, off their sofas, back on the street. For example, next week we'll be getting a one-month campaign to reclaim public space outside the Southern Cross station at the corner of Spencer and Collins Street in Melbourne. And why? For 20 years, the Wednesday Action Group have been harassed by private security guards and police every time we try to set up outside the station on public space to highlight a particular issue. Every time. So we are going to confront this head on over the next uh, in the month of August, on the 7th, the 14th, the 21st and 28th of August from midday to 1pm. So come and join us and reclaim public space and the right to freedom of assembly because, you see, Spencer Street Station or Southern Cross Station, whatever you like to call it, is private property. It was built by the taxpayer, paid for by the taxpayer, but the government sublets it to a private organisation to run like the county court, and the list goes on and on, like many so-called public hospitals, many facilities in public hospitals. Now, I like to have a coffee. That's right. Sounds a bit pathetic, doesn't it? Before I uh, broadcast on the Anarchist World this week, and occasionally, occasionally I'm forced to glance at the Herald Scum, which is Murdoch's mouthpiece in the city of Melbourne in Victoria, the state of Victoria. Horrible piece of garbage. And I was interested to see the front page and lots of pages inside. Some pathetic private, Roman Catholic private school whose enrolments are diminishing is going to close down because the Roman Catholic, you know, education sector doesn't think it's going to make enough buck. You know, it's not going to generate a profit. And there's this huge public campaign in Melbourne not just in the private media, but the government guild at ABC to get the Roman Catholic Church to change their mind. Front page garbage. Newspapers, television, you know, media, web. It just goes on and on. And this is this, you know, this is a college, a private college, which has been subsidised for the for the taxpayer for decades. It's going to close down for economic reasons. You know, the Catholic Church itself is going to close it down. There's this huge backlash and this huge publicity wouldn't it be nice wouldn't it be very nice to see the same coverage given to the lack of public schools in this country the same coverage given to the fact that public schools are robbed blind by state and federal governments to give the same coverage to the fact that private schools, both religious and non-religious, are emptying the Treasury as they siphon public money into private schools. You'll never hear about that. You'll never have a campaign about that. Maybe there's a bit of trouble with some public school. You'll hear about that. So they can denigrate the public sector. But you'll never hear about that in the corporate-owned media and to a lesser extent in the government guild at ABC. And then flicking through the page of this garbage, I wouldn't even wipe my bum with it. I mean, my bum's got more integrity than what's written in that piece of garbage. There's another article about bludgers. People have been knocked off 
unemployment benefits or a new start allowance, 744,448, for paper transactions, as if to say everybody who's, you know, been dudded by a private corporation which now runs Centrelink, you know, of their unemployment benefits or new start allowance because they haven't ticked the right box or been too sick to go to an interview, are bludgers, just extraordinary. And that takes me to the two main issues I'd like to speak about today. One is the war, that's right, the war that's been declared by the Prime Minister, who will never be known as Scott Morrison on this program, who from now on will be known as unfunded empathy. His words, not mine. PM unfunded empathy. We've got President Groper in the States and we've got PM unfunded empathy in Australia. As if empathy has a price. Unfunded empathy. Where do those two words come from? From this Christian gentleman you know, believes in the Bible and waves his hands around on a Sunday and stamps his feet and shouts out hallelujah, brothers and sisters. Unfunded empathy when it comes to increasing the pathetic New Start allowance in this country, which even employers understand needs to be increased in order to, you know, kick, help kickstart the economy, which is running into the doldrums because there's no wage growth. Unfunded empathy. This government, as I predicted and said the day after the victory, and you can go to the website, you can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, where I do a presentation every week, go to Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. And I said the people who would be paying the price of the Liberal National Party victory led by the Messiah, PM, Unfunded Empathy, commonly known as Mr Morrison, that it would be the 30% of people on, on Social Security benefits, the working poor, those on casual employment and trade unionists who would bear the full brunt of this government's uh, attacks so that they can actually save money in order to pay the franking credits to shareholders and ensure that people who negatively gear properties never pay tax on that property unless they sell it. Incredible. And we are seeing it every day in legislation. Think of the legislation that's been pushed through Parliament. It's not about stoking fear in the community. If it's not about building, uh, creating the building blocks of a police state, if it's not about removing rights and freedoms we theoretically have under a useless constitution. And now, legislation to actually remove, to actually decapitate the toothless trade union movement which we have today, which had every tooth pulled out of its head over the last two decades by successive legislation which has made it illegal to withdraw your labour or strike in this country outside you know, a complicated, convoluted, complex enterprise bargaining agreement period. Now they want to decapitate what's left of the trade union movement, this, you know, this little amoeba, amoeba 
because they cannot stand any resistance. They are worse than the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, the Chinese Communist Party is always wary about any resistance to the Communist Party in China, whether it's the Uyghurs, whether it's Hong Kong, you know, whether it's uh, Falun Gong and, and, and the list goes on and on. If an organisation crops up which can provide some semblance, some skeletal resistance to the dominant ideology, well, then you cut it back viciously. And the Liberal National Party does exactly the same thing. Destroys the trade union movement through legislation. With a little bit of help from the alternative Liberal Party, masquerading as the Australian Labor Party. It destroys any opposition. Any opposition. Puts out laws that make, you know, freedom of assembly, takes away the right to freedom of assembly, takes away the right to freedom of association, puts out laws which actually try to destroy any independent media in this country. So they have declared war on us. We didn't declare war on them. They have declared war. They think, with the help of that insipid crossbench, two members of Divided Nation, two members of a some South Australian Senate group which likes to call itself the Centre Alliance, as if there's a centre, and then poor old Jackie Lambie from the Jackie Lambie Network. We've seen the Duchess scene of these people. And obviously I forgot about the Australian reactionaries masquerading the Australian Conservatives. They're one senator again from South Australia. Extraordinary. What an extraordinary situation that we're held hostage as a community by these people who are basically Liberal Party apologists. Worse than Liberal Party apologists, they're Liberal Party supporters. Whether it's the Centre Alliance, whether it's Divided Nation, whether it's the Australian Conservatives... And I've, well, I'm still giving Jackie Lambie, you know, the benefit of the doubt at this stage. Let's see what her voting pattern is over the next few months. I wouldn't be surprised if it's about, you know, supporting the Liberal National Party. But, and that's what brings me to the, the thing, this concept of public interest before corporate interest. As I said before, we've been trying for some time to organise another political party. Not another political party, I hear you say. Well, when you fight in a war, you don't fight on one front. And people talk about direct action. Well, direct action is fine. We also need direct political action as far as the political system is concerned. If that means if standing for elections to raise issues, to change debate, to change the nature of political debate in this country, well, so be it. So we've been trying to get 550 members of public interest before corporate interests who are on the electoral roll in order to register as a federal political party. Not because we think we'll be elected. We may be elected. You never know. You're luck in a big city these days. But because we can raise these ideas on a wider level. It doesn't matter how long I talk, how many YouTube presentations I have, how many things we do, you know, the movement does in the extra-parliamentary sphere, unless you kick them where it hurts, and that is parliamentary elections, your chances of moving forward in Australia in 2019 are minimal. 
So if you want to see what public interest before corporate interest is all about, go to the website, pipsy, P-I-B-C-R dot net, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. We're currently in the phase of going through the last stage, and that's the voting stage of the members uh, in order to put up policies. We've had two congresses to look at policies. We've now got uh, proposals which have been put to the membership after these congresses. The congresses were open to all members, so it's a direct democratic organisation, and uh, hopefully sometime by uh, early October we'll have the results and be able to release those policies. But in the interim, it's a matter it's a matter of joining. Public interest before corporate interests, download, download the application form pipsy.net. But in a war, you work on all fronts, under the sea, above the land, in the air, and it's the same in political campaigning. Direct action, community action, action in the parliamentary sphere, action at the local government level, action at the state government level, action at the federal level. Otherwise, you are denying yourself the opportunity of changing the direction. In a country where the media is dominated by forces which we saw at work before the last federal election, where lies are truth, where people make no bones about manipulating the system in order to get their boys and girls in power so they can pass this legislation, which have we have seen being passed over the last few months, which basically ties people down for generations which results in their children of the poor not being educated properly, which results in people being driven into poorly paid, casualised work, which results in people being driven out of employment in the farming sector and and a reliance on overseas labour, which will invariably be exploited by contractors. And the list goes on and on. So we are in a war, and it's a war of survival, not in terms of physical survival, but in terms of survival, in terms of opportunities, in terms of being able to develop ourselves to our fullest potential, in terms of us being able to provide the basic necessities for our children and grandchildren to move on and be able to tackle the issues which we face as a community because of you know the domination of capitalism over an economy which has resulted in wide-scale environmental destruction, in greenhouse emissions, in threats to life on the planet, and the list goes on and on. So we need to use every legal means at our disposal. You see, violence is the firewood of the state. It needs violence in order to justify its existence. What it can't deal with, what a parliamentary democracy can't deal with, and I'm not talking about a dictatorship, but a parliamentary democracy, what it can't deal with is mass, peaceful action which basically destroys the levers of government. 
and creates an alternative, an economic alternative, a social alternative, a cultural alternative based on direct democratic principles. That's what it can't deal with. It can't deal with peaceful activity. And that's why laws are passed which deny us the ability to assemble, congregate, protest. That's why those laws are passed. Not to protect private property, but to remove the possibility of people getting involved in mass peaceful action. The state loves violence, and if there's no violence around it, it'll attempt to create it. It is the firewood which warms its heart, keeps it going. Think about it. Think about it. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, institutional meltdown. We're going to try to join the dots in what's left of the program. Now, we hear these stories and, you know, there's all these surveys which come out that people are unhappy, there's no wage growth, there's increasing uh, psychiatric issues in the community, increased anxiety, people are not happy, there's no future for a lot of people, feel there's no increased suicide rates. You know, I think there were 3,500 people who committed suicide last year in Australia. And for everybody who commits suicide, there's another 20 who's, who attempt. So there's another around 75 who attempted suicide. That's that's just the the pointy end, the pointy end of this mental health disaster we are having in a first world country where starvation isn't you know an issue for 99% of the population. Just extraordinary. Just an extraordinary sense of not things not been quite right. An extraordinary sense that people feel that they are hostages to a system. They are indebted up to their necks. Couples are working, you know, both full time in order to pay a mortgage or pay the rent. People, the 30% of people on social security benefits struggle below the poverty line and those on New Start allowance are way below the poverty line. And the working poor become the greatest part of the economy, especially with all this legislation that's going through, which actually removes rights and conditions at work, which reduces pay, not for the richest people, but for the poorest people, and which ensures that only the rich enjoy the privilege of not paying taxes. Now, we all know this. This is part and parcel of the type of society we've lived in for a long time. But there is a new development. There is a new development which has led to the creation of an apathetic community and the state loves an apathetic community, because an apathetic community turns on itself. It fights among itself. It looks at the way people are dressed, whether they wear a headscarf or not. You know, divides people on the basis of the language they speak, 
their religion, their sexual orientation, their sexuality. It loves to divide people. That's what an apathetic society creates, internal dissension. You join the dots. No wonder people feel anxious and undervalued and underpaid and feel that they have no future, and more importantly, their children and grandchildren have no future. When we see over half of adult children under 30 living at home, mainly for economic reasons, you begin to understand how significant this problem is, is becoming. And those that live outside home with their hex debts, you know, are supported to a large degree, to a significant degree, by parents. So we've got this constant friction between generations. We've got this constant friction in the community. Why? Why is it things getting worse, not better? We live on a continent. We're not even 26 million people living on a bloody resource-rich continent. I've spoken about the fact that these resources are basically exploited by transnational corporations and we're lucky to get a bit of royalties, that one way out of this situation would be to actually compulsorily acquire all these mines. But that's another story. But why? We have now seen over the last decade the total institutional meltdown of our most precious institutions in Australia. A total institutional meltdown of institutions which our parents and grandparents looked up to, to which some of us looked up to. I never did. I'm sure you never did. Maybe you did. Let's go through the list. First of all, organised religion. Organised religion. Registered religious organisation, some whose history goes back 5,000 years. The Royal Commission into the sexual abuse of children in religious and state institutions has for ge- will for generations have an impact on the power that religious institutions were able to exert over the population. No wonder one third of the population in Australia describes themselves as having no belief in a god. Here are institutions which were given by the state, given by the state, the privilege of looking after children, orphans, schools, and we see the wholesale sexual exploitation of children. Now, obviously, there are bad apples in every barrel, but this wasn't a question of bad apples This was a question of religious leaders of all denominations, especially in the Catholic Church, allowing the bad apples to remain in the barrel and doing everything they could to cover up what was happening to protect the institution. So we have this huge disgust 
There's any degree of religious institutions in this country, so we've seen their reputations in tatters. And although they are peddling hard to improve those reputations, it's going to take generations to do that. Then, on the secular stage, and let's not forget the secular stage, the non-religious stage, we have seen some of the most obscene, exploitative Things happen in this country that you would have never imagined could happen in a third world country. And this has occurred to a significant degree because of the policies which have been pushed since the Whitlam Labor government by successive Liberal National Party governments and alternative Liberal Party governments masquerading as the ALP, which have given, which have through deregulation privatisation, corporatisation and globalisation given the private sector carte blanche to do whatever they like, whenever they like and when laws and institutions have been put in place to act as regulators, these institutions and and regulatory bodies have not been given the staff and the resources to carry out their business. For example... When the Australian Tax Office was asked to, you know, look at the affairs of the largest corporations, the number of people which were employed to do that were decreased. When the National Disability Insurance Scheme became law, the government of the day, the Liberal National Party Coalition, put a a limit on the number of people who could process applications. So we've seen the banks. We saw the Royal Commission of the Banks and Financial Institutions. You know, the, the cornerstone of a capitalist society, a banking system. We saw the privatisation of the Commonwealth Bank over 30 years ago and the resultant carnage, the resultant power which is exercised by banks which are too big to fail. And we saw the Royal Commission come out with some squibby little recommendations that it's all about culture. It's not about culture. It's about the other C, capitalism. I mean, if you give an organisation a mission statement that is their ultimate legal and ethical and moral responsibility to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social and environmental and institutional costs, what do you expect So we have seen this meltdown of the financial sector in the eyes of the people of this country. Then we've seen the clowns, and my apologies to clowns because I do like clowns. I don't have a phobia about clowns. I love clowns. I go to circuses without animals. I love them. We see because of the way the media is controlled in this country and the way debate is framed, we see time and time again people you wouldn't piss on if they were on fire being elected as representatives in Parliament at the local, state and federal level in this country. It's our fault. We've allowed it to happen. We've been asleep at the wheel. We've said, do what you like, as long as, you know, we get our dividends and our franking credits. You know, do what you like. 
as long as you maximise profits for shareholders, we don't care because we're all retired now. We're all, you know, self-funded retirees, aren't we? When I look at the members of federal parliament, the upper and lower house, and if I had a choice, if the place was burning down figuratively, and I had a choice of saving somebody by pissing on them, I would take my time deciding which person I'd piss on. I mean, the moral fibre, the integrity of the parliamentary process is so tattered that people are now questioning the concept of parliamentary democracy. And although we have compulsory voting in this country, we saw the largest group of people not participate in the last federal election, especially among the young, who believe that parliamentary politics is nothing to offer them. And that's why I think it's important that we do get involved. That's another story. So we've seen the, the reputation of the financial sector in tactus, the religious sector in tatters. The parliamentary sector in tatters. And then we look at around us. We look at the people around us who are making it, who are enjoying the fruits of their exploitative behaviour. Who are the heroes and heroines? The rich and powerful who've made their fortunes by exploiting other people's labour. Who are the heroes and heroines which we, you know, put up to us to worship on a daily basis? And we look at hard-working people like the young, uh, the woman I spoke about at the beginning of the program, Robin Whitehead, 27 years as a nurse devoting herself to the community. And there are millions of Australians, millions of us out there, who do the right thing, pay our taxes, look after our children, do the best we can in a difficult situation. Obviously, we all make mistakes. We're human. That's why we make mistakes. We have a system loaded against honest, hard-working people in this country. It's the greedy, the rich the powerful, those that are involved in criminal activity. They are the heroes. Look at the allegations which have been made about Crown casinos around this country. And look at the lack of regulation. I don't blame Crown Casino for maximising its profits. That's what capitalism is all about. I don't blame, you know, a mining corporation for maximising its profits. What I do blame is the legislative response. What I do blame is those so-called representatives we elect into Parliament to protect us, who have given up that role, who are basically cheerleaders now for the corporate sector, who retire and find themselves on boards of the very corporations that we are led to believe are essential for our survival as a community. And then... And on top of this, we have questions now being asked about the police forces around this country. We had the Fitzgerald Royal Commission in the 80s in Queensland to clean out that nest of vipers. We had the Woods Royal Commission in New South Wales in the 1990s to clean out that nest of vipers. And now anybody listening to the Royal Commission 
into policing formers, which is currently going on in Victoria, which has got extremely limited terms of reference so they don't turn up too much turds, turn up too much shit, would know that what we now need is a Royal Commission in Victoria to clean out that nest of vipers. Because when... And what is the common thread? What is the common thread in this story as we talk about the lack of trust, the reputational damage and tatters in our major institutions? What is the common thread? The common thread is that we have allowed them to be closed shops. We have allowed them to run their own race. We have allowed them to set their own rules. We have allowed them to dictate parliamentary policy. And when you leave these organisations to their own devices, I can assure you they will do whatever it takes in order to protect their interests and expand their interests. And that's what we have seen This is the legacy of the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution that has swept over this country over the past four to five decades. This is its legacy. We are now reaping the fruit of these strange trees which we have fertilised with taxpayers' money and the blood, sweat and tears of generations. We have allowed these organisations to grow and prosper at not just our expense, but the expense of our children and grandchildren and the expense of the future of this country and this planet. We have allowed this to happen on our shift. We are not a dictatorship. We are a parliamentary democracy. And although there are mechanisms via which these people get elected and re-elected, we have allowed this to occur. We have only ourselves to blame. And apathy, although a logical response to the current situation is the aphrodisiac of the rich and powerful. It is the aphrodisiac of those who exercise power. While we remain apathetic and leave it up to them or to governments to make decisions on our behalf, nothing will change. Royal Commission will come, Royal Commission will go. Cosmetic changes will come, cosmetic changes will go. But the very essence of the society we live in will continue to function and continue to create crisis over and over again. Now is the time. There has never been a more opportune time to become involved in activities which challenge authority and which bring authority to, you know, to respond. Now is the time. Now is the time. It is one of the most productive periods, is potentially one of the most productive periods in the history of this country. And if we don't take this opportunity, we deserve everything 
that happens here and now and in the future because it's because ultimate political authority doesn't lie in the hands of the state it doesn't lie in the hands of the corporate sector it doesn't lie in the hands of the bureaucracy ultimate political authority in a democracy lies in the hands of an active involved population and that's the key an active involved population if there's one thing you take from this program if you're not active it's time to think about it and get involved join the resistance join that struggle to create that new world in our hearts you've been listening to the anarchist world this week broadcast across australia via the community radio network my name is joseph scanner i've been hosting this program i want to find out what's going on Go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscana. You can write to me. Yes, I do answer letters. I had a lot last week. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. If you want to join public interest before corporate interest or learn what it's all about, go to pipsy.net. You can follow us on um, Instagram, uh, Steps to a Home, I think. Yep, Steps to a Home. You can go to the uh, YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Don't forget the West Papuan Rent Collective and West Papuan Open Day due uh, this Sunday. That's the 4th of August at 1pm, lunch at 1pm, $15 for non-members. Members of the Rent Collective, zero. Come along, see what it's all about, 838 Collins Street, Docklands in Melbourne at the back, and uh, you'd be more than welcome. Keep listening to The Anarchist World this week over the next few years. Hopefully I'll be here. If I'm not, I'm sure somebody else will take over because social conditions are changing. What hasn't changed is the fact that apathy still reigns. While apathy reigns, nothing changes. The state loves two things. It loves violence and it loves apathy. They are the aphrodisiacs of state power. Thank you once again. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on, or even SMS me on 04. 04- 39395489 go to pipsy.net look at the activities go to the anarchistmedia.org there's so many websites such little time so few activists that's what we want not listeners but doers thank you once again for listening to the anarchist world this week broadcast across Australia via the community radio network and don't forget It's not Mr. Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister. It's the PM Unfunded Empathy. I think this shines a light into the man's heart. To be a Christian fundamentalist is a wonderful thing. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week via the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday, 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.